This morning uh, we're going to be looking at doctrine. And uh, you hear the word doctrine and you say, oh no, it's one of those. Uh, the, the idea is to be grounded in our faith, to understand why is it that we believe what we believe and to be able to solidify our stands in the light of so many challenges that we often are presented with against the gospel of what we believe and why we believe it. We'll be looking at the virgin birth from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38 is one of the passages we're looking at. Now, American talk host uh, Larry King was once asked, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? And Mr King, who is uh, agnostic, probably even atheist, said that he would like to interview Jesus Christ. And then the questioner followed up with, and what would you like to ask him? And King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history for me, he said. Now there are two, the two biblical events that have been regarded as the most controversial in the last 2,000 years are the, the resurrection and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They are so hotly debated not only by anti-Christians but surprisingly and sadly even within Christian circles or those who call themselves Christians as well. They have these two things that have been regarded as the test of whether you are a conservative Christian or whether you are a liberal Christian. Back in 1970 a survey was done among Christians in the US and he found that Jesus' virgin birth is denied by 60% of Methodists, 49%, this is already 1970, okay, so we've, how many years since that? 49, it is denied also by 49% of Presbyterians, almost half Presbyterians don't believe in the virgin birth, 44% of Episcopalians, 34% of Baptists, American Baptists, and 19% of Lutherans. Andy Stanley, who is the, he's a megachurch pastor in the US, he is the, he is the son of uh, Charles Stanley, recently said, if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection, I'm not, all, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world. Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. It hinges on the resurrection of Jesus, he said. And then he, he said he was taken out of context. Interesting. Let's face it. If you can accept the resurrection of Christ, you should be able to accept the virgin birth of Christ. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, then it doesn't really matter whether you accept the virgin birth or not, or any of the other 
supernatural miracles of the Bible, for that matter. The narratives in the Bible are very explicit in their description of the conception and the birth of Christ. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So this issue of the virgin birth is right at the centre. It is part of the core belief of the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. It is fundamental. As most of you would know, when they told you about the birds and the bees, conception occurs when a male seed fertilises a female egg. That is the normal way that humans procreate. That is the way that God designed it. But clearly the conception of Jesus was supernatural. The Bible tells us that his mother was a virgin at the time of his birth. A virgin is someone who has never had intercourse. Science will never be able to explain how a virgin like Mary, who had never been with a man, could conceive a child. So you cannot explain it scientifically. And that is the realm of the miracle, of the supernatural. The only explanation is that it was a miracle of God. In fact, the greatest miracle of conception the world has ever known. So let's look at some of the controversies and where some of our detractors base some of their arguments and, their, and what are the type of arrows that they throw at us. So let's start off by looking at, at, at some of these controversies. Right throughout history there have been attacks on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And this attack started even during Jesus' life. We have looked in our series in John, in the Gospel of John, we, we looked already at some of the attacks that Jesus faced about his parentage and, and his enemies uh, certainly question his, his parentage. The Jewish leader said in John chapter 6 verse 42, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven. Now this crowd thought that Joseph really was the father of Jesus. Of course, they were wrong, but that's what they assumed. But that didn't stop there. Just a couple of chapters later, in chapter 8, verse 41, the Pharisees got even more personal, alluding that Jesus was in fact a product of of infidelity that Mary was fooling around when they said, we are not born of fornication, we have one Father God. Jesus then went on to tell them that their father was indeed the devil, but that's another story. What are some of the other reasons for, that are offered for disbelief? in our doctrine of the virgin birth. 
they say, well, the Apostle Paul does not mention the virgin birth in his writings. And by, by them saying that, they, they're, they're, what they're alluding to is that it's probably, it wasn't that important to him, so why should it be important to us? Uh, then they say the virgin birth may have been copied from a Roman fable or from another religion or even it, it sounds very similar to some of the Greek mythology. In the Old Testament, the virgin birth story was, they say, was inspired by the Old Testament uh, because in the Old Testament we read of some of the unusual births or, or miraculous births like Isaac, born to Abraham and Sarah in the late age, of Samson, of Samuel. And they contend that Matthew and Luke simply borrowed from this trend to make the birth of Jesus look unusual, even miraculous, to give him a higher status in people's thinking. And others even go to say the virgin birth story was simply an honest mistake. Somehow the the Greek translators uh, put the passage from Isaiah into Matthew's account to show that Hebrew prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' life, but not necessarily this one. And those are just some of the arguments that people present against the virgin birth. And we look at the person of Mary. This is, you go from one extreme of the controversy to the other. Mary has been a point of contention for hundreds, thousands of years, especially between Catholics and Protestants. Marianism is is a doctrine within Catholicism which developed over over the years and it really wasn't formalised in the Catholic Church around about 1000 uh, AD. Uh, she is called the Mother of God which in a, way, in a way she is because she gave birth to Jesus who himself is God. But this is just pushing the points too far. It doesn't mean that she and the scriptures don't present her as being eternally existent, as sinless, that she predates God and she was, because she was born human and died human. In Paraguay, a Catholic Catholic country, we have, the capital is called Asuncion. Translated Asuncion means, means assumption because the city was founded about 500 and something years ago uh, on the Assumption of Mary. That's what they take their name from. That Mary, instead of dying like you and me will, simply like Jesus. She, it's nowhere in Scripture, by, mind you. They simply say, this is Catholic theology, that she went to heaven, rose to heaven. She didn't die. She's also called 
the Queen of Heaven, to which there is simply no biblical standing at all. And some have gone as far as saying that God is not a trinity but a quadrate or God in four persons with Mary being the fourth person of the Godhead. Of course, uh, with the rise of, of feminism, this is, this is and the women's, the women's right movement, this of course becomes very popular because it's, they say it, it gives God a more feminine, the Godhead a more feminine side and we try and do away with the whole masculinity thing. But that's another story. Uh, what was so special about Mary? God knew what kind of woman he was choosing when he chose Mary. She didn't go for an interview. She didn't, uh, she wasn't, she didn't apply for the job. She was chosen. He chose a woman of faith, a woman of diligence, a woman of purity, a woman of character to be the mother of Jesus. It wasn't that she was divine. It wasn't that she was without sin herself. It was that she was a woman who was obedient to God and accepted her role as a servant of God. Someone that God could use. A vessel. I wish we could all have that same attitude, that same approach when God calls us to do something. Now let's understand the culture a little bit so we can get our head around this. You have to understand the entire Jewish tradition of engagement. Mary and Joseph were, were in, 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 in what was called the betrothal period of their relationship. In that particular culture, in Jewish culture and still in parts of the world today, most marriages were arranged by the families you know, back when the participants were only children. So even when the children were small, the parents were already arranged, well, your son's going to marry my daughter and that's the way it's going to be, okay? There was no discussion. And uh, this wasn't just at the... At, the, at this level, it's something that was arranged between kingdoms and nations and that's how it, it happened. The understanding was that marriage was far too serious a task to be left to the emotions of the human heart. And there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? Oh, I love him. He's so beautiful. Oh, oh, my heart is melting. I spend the rest of my life with him. Oh, goodness gracious.
And the last part of the engagement was the betrothal. It lasted for a year and the engagement was absolutely binding. The participants were already considered husband and wife in all matters except that they didn't live together and the marriage hadn't been consummated. The betrothal could only be broken either through, through death or through the formal proceedings of divorce and then only if one of the parties had been unfaithful. Otherwise it could not happen. Which is exactly what Joseph planned on doing after he found out that Mary was pregnant. In Matthew 1.19, this is what we read, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He didn't want to go on Facebook page, yes, what? My wife, you know, you know Mary, yeah, she cheated on me, eh? And then all the posts and everything else, yeah, yeah, all the names that she'd be called. That's, yeah, that's, there's a reason why Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. Even then it was difficult. So he had in mind not to disgrace her. Joseph had a lot of dignity. He didn't want to disgrace her. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. That's the culture. What about the Old Testament? The virgin birth of Jesus was not an afterthought. God scratching his head and sort of saying, well, I wonder how we're going to do this in God's plan. As far back, as far back as Genesis, we find that God was, was going to send a redeemer after the fall and after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit, God pronounced this was the curse on the serpent in Genesis 3.15 and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. It is interesting that whenever the Bible speaks of seed or offspring, it is always referring to the, to the male seed. To the male seed. But here in Genesis and also in, in Revelations, the other end of Scripture, Scripture is referring to the seed of the woman, which is something special, isn't it? The prophet Isaiah prophesied the birth of the Messiah he said that he would be born of a virgin. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7.14. Now, there are some who reject this verse as pointing to Jesus uh, by saying it's not talking about him at all because in Hebrew, the word translated as virgin, which is Alma, can mean young girl. It doesn't have to necessarily mean virgin. Yes, well, given that, that 
virgin can be interpreted as young girl, but if, if this means just any young girl having a baby, then the force of Isaiah's prophecy is lost. In the Hebrew culture, lots of young girls that were married quite young, mid-teenage, even early teenage years, a lot of young girls had babies. So how would a young girl having a baby be a sign in any way, shape or form? Because a sign by its very nature, which as I said, it was a sign, it's supposed to get your attention. It's pointing to something. The New Testament. We move to the New Testament. In Matthew 1, to 23, it says, All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Matthew certainly interpreted, through the Holy Spirit, interpreted this as a wonderful, accurate prophecy of Jesus. Jesus coming, God with us. Now, there are debates about the Greek word translated virgin, so we move from the, the Hebrew word translated virgin to the the Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek and in Greek the word virgin is parthenos uh, which you get parthenon anyway. So the word virgin as to whether it can also be translated as young woman. But you see, it just doesn't make sense that Joseph would, this is the way, the way it would read, that Joseph kept her a young woman until she gave birth to a son. Why would Mary ask the angel how it could be that she could conceive since she was a young woman? It just doesn't make sense. Because Mary thought, Mary knew how the birds and the bees were. We'll just let the fools argue with that one. The angel didn't want to leave any doubt in Mary's mind, so he told her, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to work. I'll fill in and and say, Mary, I, I know you understand how cells work and the whole method of you have an idea but the intricacies of um, I can't it's too much to understand but the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God now indeed Elizabeth your relative has also conceived the son in her old age And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Why? For with God, nothing will be impossible. The importance of a virgin birth. Well, someone may ask, 
Why are we arguing about all this? Why? Just, just give them that. It doesn't matter. Well, actually it does. After all, Scripture devotes little space to, to the virgin birth, but just because it devotes, doesn't devote a lot of space to something so important doesn't mean that it's not. It is very important. The virgin birth is an underlying assumption in everything that the Bible says about Jesus. To reject the virgin birth is to reject Christ's deity. It's to reject the infallibility and, and the authority of the scriptures and a host of other doctrines that follow on from that, which are at the very heart of the Christian faith. Therefore, it is really important in understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do. What did he come to do? He came to atone for our sins by dying on the cross. But in order for his death to be effective, and the word is efficacious, three things, three important things need to, are required for that to work. So what are the the requirements for Jesus to be our saviour? Well, here we go. First of all, Jesus would have to be sinless. Original sin is passed on through the normal conception process. King David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, he said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The virgin birth enabled Jesus to avoid this curse of the fall. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Secondly, He would have to be God. Two human beings could not have conceived God. Two human beings could, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, even in old age, could conceive like Abraham and Sarah, like John the Baptist's parents in their old age, conceiving. but they could not conceive God. But the virgin birth enabled God, the Holy Spirit, to be involved in the conception of Jesus. And the angel answered in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Only an infinite sacrifice atone for all the sins of all the children of God. That's why that's why John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And third, in addition to being fully God, Jesus would also have to be fully human. 
the involvement of Mary provided Jesus with his human nature. Jesus born in a womb, human womb. John 1.14 said, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So with a virgin birth, Jesus could be fully God, fully human. Only in this way could he stand in our place as a sacrifice for our sins and be our mediator between man and God. And uh, this is what Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. He is the bridge, he is the mediator, he is the one, the only one who is able to do that. Now the virgin birth provided the means by which all three of these criteria could be met. It opened the way for sins to be atoned for. It's about God sending his son to save the world according to a plan, according to a purpose. I like like these words of Peter Larson who wrote, Despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. And continues, says, The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. That's good, isn't it? A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. Now most today continue to ask the same question as Mary. How could this be? How will this be? And and the simple yet most profound answer to Mary's question is there for Mary and for the rest of us. For nothing is impossible with God. Now Mary and eventually Joseph believed it. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Is that part of, an essential part of who we are as Christians and believers, as children of God? Do we rejoice in God's marvellous plan and in the people that he used, like Mary and Joseph and the perfect son to bring about our salvation? We can only sing his praises. And may this Christmas be an opportunity for us to tell others about God's marvellous plan. God bless us. Amen.